Well, let me ask you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 41, and let me say this. I have an interest in Bible study tonight. If you don't leave tonight saying this probably is one of the pastor's best Bible studies on Joseph, I just need to hang up my preacher button. I really do. Because I'm looking at something tonight that is going to be very, very helpful to you. Having said that, I hope you'll be present Sunday morning. I, it's, it's my Sunday. I'm preaching a Sunday ahead of time on our schedule. But I'm preaching this Sunday morning. Now listen to this sermon title. Uh, the Solution to Everything. Now, nobody will leave church Sunday morning saying, well, that was a good sermon or bad sermon, but he sure didn't have anything for me. If you're breathing, and we are, everybody has something. And I'm going to show you in the Bible Sunday morning the solution to everything. So whatever your thing is Sunday morning, you're going to leave here, and from the Word of God, You'll put your finger on right what it is. I hope God will bless that in a very special way. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the main lesson in the Joseph story. And it's very, very interesting. You know, as I thought about what we're going to do tonight, I thought, you know, I grew up in church all my life. I've been in church all my life. That doesn't mean I always listen to everything said, but I was there. No, there was none of this like, are we going to go to church? Yes. Every time church had church, we went. And I grew up being taught in Sunday school, is what we called it in those days, to memorize Bible verses. And I had two Sunday school teachers that inspired me and challenged me, even as a small boy, to memorize Bible verses. And one of those was a lady named Mrs. Ruth Cooper. And the other was a man named Mr. George Tucker. And to this day, I think of them often as I think about and quote Bible verses. There's something powerful about memorizing Bible, Bible verses. I, you know, the, the very first verses that I remember memorizing, Probably I had John 3.16 down, but I'm talking about that someone challenged me to memorize. It really didn't come from Miss Cooper or Mr. Tucker. It was a challenge the pastor gave the boys and girls in our church. And you've heard the story. Time won't let me tell the story again. You don't want to hear the story again. But my motive was wrong. It was, in a nutshell, you maybe haven't heard the story. And I'm not going to tell the whole story again, but be that as it may. The pastor... Uh, in the little country church, said to all the boys and girls, if you will memorize whatever I ask you to memorize, and you'll come and say it to me. Now, you didn't have to stand up before the church. You just went up to him and said, Pastor, I want to say my verses. And you could say whatever he asked you to memorize, then he would give you a new little testament. That's what, and that was to me as a little boy, that was a big thing. And I remember building up my courage, going to the pastor. And you know, when you're a little bitty boy, the pastor, he was very tall. I, you know, I felt like I was almost talking to God. I was just overwhelmed. But I finally built up courage, and I went up to him. I can still remember this in my mind. And I said, I would like my verses. Or I think I said, I would like my verse. Well, he knew what I was talking about. And I, I, I'm going to tell the story again. I just got shit. 
And he reached in his pocket, I shall never forget, and pulled out a little card with his name and phone. And he, this, he did every little boy and girl this way. And he took his pen and he would write your verse. And I watched him as he wrote mine. He wrote Proverbs 3, I was watching him, colon 5. Then he did something really bad. He wrote dash 7. And he gave me the card. And I went home and told my mother. I said, I got my verse, but it's not a verse. It's verses. He wants me to memorize the whole Old Testament. And my mother, now remember, I was a little guy in the first grade, and my mother looked at that and said, no, that's three verses. And I memorized Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7 in the first grade. And here I am all these years later, and we'll say this, Probably no verses have helped me all these years more and helped me more to help other people more. And it's the same verses I give every first grader, and I've been doing it for all these many years. These are the verses I challenge you to remember. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Here's the part that really helps me. And lean not unto thine what? Yeah, see, that's my struggle. I'm always trying to figure it out. We have something that we're trying to figure it out. Well, sometimes it won't figure out. Lean not to understand it. All thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise, thou own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So those are those verses in all these years. And then Bible stories. Like growing up in the church, I heard all these Bible stories. The Sunday school teachers would teach Bible stories. The pastor often would be preaching a sermon on Bible stories. And as a little boy growing up, and then even as an older boy, I had my favorite stories. My favorite story as a little boy growing up. I'm talking about a kid like maybe first grade, second grade, very tender age in life. I almost... I'm ashamed to tell you my favorite story at that time in my life. It was about David and Goliath taking a stone, not a pebble, but a per- putting it in a sling and winding that thing up in the valley of Elah and slinging it and hitting the old giant. You remember that story? Can you, you'd think I'd have had a more godly story than that. And old Goliath, and then he went and took his sword and cut his head off. That was my brutal. I had the Adamic nature as a first grader, second grader, just, you know. And then my other favorite story would be, as a little boy, I, I was thinking of that day, what was, would be the, 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 the walls at Jericho come tumbling down. I, that story just always fascinated me. Now, you don't have time, but it would be fun tonight to say, can you remember back when you were like a child, a young boy, younger, like what, what was your favorite Bible story? Uh, and, and in the New Testament, what was your favorite? My favorite Bible story in the New Testament was about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. I've been there. And, and you know, that, that story just always caught my attention as a child. So memorizing. And I read a statement in a book I'm reading about Scripture memory. And here's a statement. Let me read this to you. It says, Scripture memory enables us to maintain our mental equilibrium and spiritual vitality. I like that statement. Your spiritual equilibrium, like if you have them there, when you need them, they show up. And sometimes when you're around people, they're going through things. We all want to know what would be an appropriate thing to say. I'll say this, if the Holy Spirit brings a verse to your mind 
as you are talking to some friend about what they're going through. Dottie and I were called a friend that, in fact, she had serious cancer surgery today in another state. And she had called us about it to pray for her. And I called her last yesterday afternoon to pray with her about the, her surgery today. And uh, she was telling me, she says, I have a friend that uh, has had something very similar. And she told me all of her story. And another friend told me all of her story. And another friend told me all their story. I thought, well, after a while, you'll be dead before they can get you to surgery. You know, all these people telling their horror stories. I said, well, let me just share a little verse with you from God's Word. And I shared a verse. And she said, listen, I'm glad you shared that verse. I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling people what you've been through. But I, I tell you, if, if you know Bible verses and one comes to your mind that you think would bring comfort and encouragement and help to another person, it'll be better than telling your story. Tell God's story. So we think about these Bible stories, and it, it's a very interesting thing. Now, you know, in the Bible, we also have parables. And, of course, you know what a parable is. A parable is just simply an, an, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus, now parables existed long before Jesus. Jesus did not invent parables. Jesus used parables in a very wonderful way. And the way he used them, he would take a material object of some kind and relate it to a heavenly truth. You know, I love what we call, or I, I've always kind of referred to it as a Sunday school scholar's definition of a parable, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I've been through two seminaries, listened to brilliant professors say, you know, this might be a good definition for a parable. I'm going to say this. I've listened to it all. My own belief, my own conviction, the Sunday school scholar has the best definition for parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, understand something about parables, and this is all going to get into our Joseph study in a moment. Parables did not happen. They were stories like that Jesus told to teach something about something spiritual. Now, Bible stories did happen. That's the difference in a parable and a Bible story. For example, uh, Abraham offering Isaac. That's not a parable. That is a story. Genesis, that's where the story is. Abraham took his son, Isaac, and was going to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, what's happened in even evangelical Christianity and by that, I mean many churches that through the years you would have said, now those are Bible-believing churches, and we have them in our area. But yet, they would say, well, or at least their pastor would say, uh, whether Abraham really offered Isaac or not, the important thing is the lesson to learn. And that's, that's how the drift away, that's how we move from being people that believe the Bible as the Word of God and it says what it says. But you say, well, oh, or, or you know, um, like, like the great fish swallowed uh, Jonah. Well, they say, well, you know, that's a Bible story. And I'm saying this, Bible stories, my conviction, they did happen. A great fish swallowed Jonah. In fact, Jesus himself referred to it talking about his own resurrection. 
He said, as, as Jonah was in the belly of the a great fish three days and three nights, and he's talked about so will the Son of Man. So when we think about Bible stories, these stories actually did happen. Now, uh, every Bible parable, now you need to hear this carefully because we're about to jump into a story, but every Bible parable has one meaning. Now you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, parables have a lot of details. And often I hear preachers preach sermons on the details. Well, the details are the details of the story, but the parable has a meaning. Now there may be some lessons to learn in the parable, but every parable has a meaning. Now that said, every Bible story has one primary purpose. Now in the story, there, there are a lot of things happen that are teachable things to help us in our life. But the big old story, it, it's there, it's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired it for a big picture meaning. Now, with that said, we come to the story of Joseph. I'm calling it Joseph's story. Now, we're going to take a test. Are you ready for a test? You grade your own paper. You can do it in your head. You don't have to write it down. The story of Joseph, let's do this first one out loud. The story of Joseph is found in what book in the Bible? Genesis. Everybody knew that. All right. You ready for a little bit harder question? The story of Joseph is found in the book of Genesis in chapters what through what? 37 through 50, I think is what I heard. Except chapter what? 38. John, you preached a whole sermon on that. That was a good sermon. Charlie Joe asked me as recently as this afternoon, why is that chapter in the Bible? I said, well, you're, you, Jay, preached that. She said, but I wasn't here. So after the service, if you'll get Charlie Joe and just preach her the sermon on Genesis chapter 38 and clear that, clear that issue up. Now, uh, the story of Joseph, of course, has a lot of details. It really does. I mean, the, the, the it's the most interesting story about all the things that happened to him. And in all these details, all these things that we read about, there are some lessons to learn. But the big picture is building to the main purpose of the story of Joseph, Joseph's story. For example, the details. Well, Joseph, for example, as you read chapters 37 through 50, you, you find that he was his father Jacob's favorite of all the boys. Well, that'd be a, you know, you could take that and be a preacher, kind of a mini sermon that parents shouldn't have favorites. Well, I mean, that's a true statement, and, and, and that's a little, little nugget, nugget that you pick up. Uh, you, 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 you read in there where, you know, well, he was falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife. Well, you could, I mean, there's some, there's some stuff there, you, you know, about making false accusations. But that's not the main lesson of the, of, the, of the Joseph story. Or you could talk about how his brothers hated him. Or you could talk about how he flaunted his coat. Or you could talk about, well, he had these dreams. And he, it was okay to have these dreams. God gave him the dreams. But he shouldn't have told the dreams. 
And that was, uh, he made a bad decision about that. Oh, you, so you could kind of use that as a diving board if you want to talk about, you know, don't brag, you know, don't make bad decisions and uh, uh, doing things like that. And, and then you, you could talk about uh, other things that, that happened to him. But it all, it all leads up to the main story. Now, with that little background, we're going to look at something that's going to be very, very helpful tonight. I wish you'd take your uh, lesson, your Bible lesson sheet that you have, and let me get you to fill in a couple of blanks and then we're going to get into the Word of God. Here's, here's the first thing about the story of Joseph. The Joseph story is not about Joseph. Now, that ought to wake somebody up. Chapters 37 through 50, less chapter 38, much of the book, 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, about Joseph, but the story is not about Joseph. The Joseph story is about God. Now think about that a moment, and I'm going to develop it, because this will really help. The story of Joseph is about God. Now let me show you in the Bible. Look in Genesis chapter 41, if you will. It's a very interesting verse. It probably just goes by unnoticed. In fact, I'm only when we got in this series on Wednesday night on Joseph, did this verse jump out at me. Look in Genesis chapter 41 in verse number 57. This little statement, it says, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. You say, well, now what's the deal? Well, think, just kind of put that on the side burner for that to happen you see, that's, that's a verse about God's providence. That's a verse about God's sovereignty. All this stuff's happening. Yeah, but here's, here's the plan. God had a purpose. In, in God's providence, he needed to get Joseph over to Egypt. And when he did, the famine came, and I've just read you the verse, what happened. Now look in chapter 45. See, the Joseph story is about God. Go over in chapter 45. I'll show you something very interesting. Look in verse number 1. It says, Then Joseph could not retain himself. Now this is, this is when he revealed himself to his brothers. It says he couldn't retain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Don't you know that was a touching scene? And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. They didn't, can you imagine what they felt? He says, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I, I, look, I didn't take time to look at other translations, how they did with the word dismay. I can just imagine what they were thinking. Oh, my great. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now watch this. If you're an underliner, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now in my Bible, in the margin to the right, I have written the number one. If you want to do that, you might do it. 
There's God's providence. God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 6, for those for these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Now look in verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Now, beside verse 7, in my Bible, I've written the number 2. Just a two. Now look in verse eight. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. In margin of my Bible, by that verse, I've written the number three. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now look in verse four, nine. Hurry up and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. Now watch this. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. And out beside verse 9, I have the number 4. Now here's the deal. It's a big deal. Four times we've just read it. Joseph says that God has been behind all the events in his life. It's more than just his brothers hated him and they threw him in a pit and then they got him out and sold him to the Ishmaelite traders and then he goes over to Egypt and Potiphar buys him as a slave. And I mean, you know, all that's part of the story, but the story is not about all of that. That's just part of the story. The, the story is, is about God and it's a very, very interesting thing. See, the main lesson, and here's something, If you don't write down anything else, you best write this one down. The main lesson in the Joseph story is that God is in control of all things to fulfill his purpose. If I were Dan tonight, that would ring a bell to me. If if I were going through anything tonight, that would kind of at least challenge me to think about this matter. Look at it again. That that God is in control of all things for what purpose? To fulfill his purpose. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. We're talking about the providence of God. Now let me give you three Bible verses that I think you'll be glad you've written down. Go with me over in the book of Psalms to Psalm 115. Would you do that? Let's have a little quick Bible deal and shoot over in Psalm 115. I want to show you what I think to be one of the clearest verses in all the Bible on the sovereignty of God. In other words, God's in control. You say, yeah, but this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. That's right. All these things happen, but God's in control. Look in Psalm 115, verse 3. Here's what the Bible says. Our God is in heaven. We say, well, we believe that. But look what else it says. He does whatever he pleases. Folks, God's in control. You say, yeah, but all this bad stuff's happening. It is. People making bad decisions. Yes, they are. We do sometimes. But that doesn't change God's purpose. It does not change the providence of God at all. All right, now turn over in Psalm 135. You might want to jot these verses down so you won't forget them. Maybe on the piece of paper you have for your Bible study sheet tonight. Look in Psalm 135. And then look down in verse 6. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, 
in the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasures. And then let's look at one other little portion of scripture. You'll be glad you did. Turn over to the book of Isaiah. Just keep turning to the right. You'll be in the book of Isaiah. And when you get in Isaiah, go to chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. I'll wait a moment. Isaiah chapter 46. Look with me down uh, in verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. We're talking about the providence of God. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Now look. Put on your thinking cap a moment. Once we come to the belief that God is the all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth. I think everybody in this room would believe that. Now think about that. Say, well, it's good to believe that. Well, let me tell you where that takes you. When you get that nailed down, if you'll think just a moment, it's reasonable to believe that the all-powerful God who's created the heavens and the earth and everything therein governs everything in his universe as well, the sovereignty of God. Now, once we understand that, we're talking about the providence of God. The word providence is found nowhere in Scripture, but it's taught throughout Scripture. It refers to God's ongoing relationship to his creation. Like God is sovereign. God is in control. And then someone says, well, that being true, what about what about man's choices in this deal? Well, we all make bad choices from time to time. Uh, and man is responsible for his choices. But our choices, listen to me, your choices, my choices, does not change one iota. God's providence, God's purpose, God's plan. Like all this stuff Joseph was going through. I mean, that was some bad things. Bad things, you think, well, gracious me, you know, why did God let this happen? Why did God, well, everything that happened, now, if we just looked at it piece at the time, it, it didn't make sense. But now, when you look at the whole deal, and you've heard about, I've, I've mentioned oftentimes, the best example I know is that, you know, we watch a parade slice at the time. God watches the parade from the 10th floor. God looks down. He sees the beginning, the middle, the end. We don't see all of that. We don't know how that's all going to work out. It doesn't make sense. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? You know, where's God in all this? Well, let me answer that. He's in all of it. It's it's not like God doesn't know what's going on. And you say, yeah, but our choices. What about our choices? Well, (laughs) let let me use this illustration. Let me use, I was going to use a different, well, I was going to use this illustration. I don't know if any of you watched the basketball game last night, the, the Milwaukee and the Phoenix game. Of course, the series ended last night, but had had the Suns won last night, Let's play like they did, but they didn't. But, I mean, I didn't 
I don't know anybody on either team, so I wasn't praising the matter, but it, it's amazing. The Suns had a 2-0 lead, and they lost the next four games. It was really kind of intriguing. But I was telling, I was thinking about this. I thought, okay, now if the Suns win, like last night, tomorrow night, which is tonight, I'm going to use this illustration. I'm going to say, okay, let's play like that we're going out to Phoenix to see game seven. Now, don't go buy a ticket to go see game seven because game seven ended on game six. Okay, but let's play like it. Or play like you're going anywhere on an airplane. Now, you're in an airplane, okay? Okay, like Joel and Jody, and that, that, our, that family flies, you know, a lot on airplanes. Okay, so they're going to get an airplane. And they all get in their seats, and they start to their destination. You know, their destination most of the time is to get back to Colorado. Why anybody wants to go to Colorado when they can live in the beauty of our area is beyond me. But anyway, but be that as it may, they're on the plane and they're going to Colorado. We'll just use this example. Now, they have many opportunities to make choices on the plane. So do you. Like, they could say, okay, I think what we're going to do is we're going to sleep. So they make a choice. Or they might say, no, what we're going to do, we're going to talk to the person sitting next to us. Or they might say, no, what we're going to do, we're going to eat some of the delicious food they're now serving on airplanes. That was probably on the plane at the previous destination. And the previous, okay. Or they could say, they can make another choice. They can say, you know, we're going to make this choice. We're not going to eat any food. They might make a choice to say, we're going to ask for something to drink, a Coke or water. Or they might make this. They say, no, I'm going to make a difference. I'm not drinking any Coke. I'm not drinking any water. I'm just saying, if you fly on an airplane, you have a lot of choices. But hear this. It doesn't matter what you choose. The plane is going to land at the destination. Like the pilot up there is not asking the stewardesses to go back through the plane to see where the people want the plane to go. When he takes off, he knows exactly. In fact, he not only knows where the plane's going. I was thinking, did you know before a plane even takes off, they know the second that thing's going to land. And if the gate is not going to be clear, they'll go out on the runway here and pull over on a little side runway and wait till they get the go-ahead. You know what they're waiting for? They're waiting to, for a gate out here two and a half hours. It's got to be clear. Well, they're not going to put this plane up in the air and waste all that fuel. So they, but I'm, see, that's the same way with God. See, folks, your choices and my choices are important things, but hear me carefully. They do not change one iota of the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Now, our struggle is we're back down here on the first floor, and we don't see the big picture. Six years ago, we didn't see the big picture with John's situation. But from those six years, we see, we see the hand of God using things, doing things, I've thought, I thought much about all the years John struggled with salvation. Why would he struggle with his salvation? But here, how God has used that to help the untold numbers of people. And in your life, look, 
there are things in your life, in my life at the moment that if we just say, you know, I just don't see how God's in any of this. Oh, well, look, we're just looking at this little thing right in front of us. And it doesn't make any sense. It probably at all. But, but God has a purpose in what's going on. You say, well, look, <laughs> if God is sovereign, now think with me a moment. We'll, we'll wrap it up. But, I mean, this is where we live. We all go through stuff that we think, I, you know, like, like the, you know, Job. I mean, like, I'm sure, in the, well, you read his book and you know. He didn't understand any of that. We read Job, but remember, he didn't have chapter 1 and 2. Job didn't know anything about the devil in God's conversation. Job was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned away from evil, and he went through all this stuff. But look how that thing worked out. You say, well, okay, so God, God is sovereign. Uh, God's, uh, you know, his providence is guiding in whatever is going on out here in life. The all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth, he's in control of the big picture of all these things that's going on. You say, well, it, it, it's a good question. Well, then, I know my choices matter to believe or not to believe, but Ben's, you know, God's got a purpose. I mean, uh, what good does it do to me to try to make choices that God teaches would be the right choices of the Bible? Listen carefully. Here's the, here's the difference. And Joseph's a great example. When we make the right choices, we get to be part of the plan God had. See, when you study the life of Joseph and all these bad things that happened, and he, he made some wrong choices himself. His brothers made a lot of wrong choices. But let's just stick to Joseph for a moment. You know, he bragged about the dreams, you know, and the Bible doesn't say so, but I just feel like he flaunted that coat of many colors that his daddy made him and kind of irritated his brothers, and I can kind of understand that. But, but here's, here's the deal. <laughs> the, the, the Joseph story is not about Joseph. The Joseph story is in the Bible to say, hey, God had a plan. What was the plan? He needed to get Joseph over here to Egypt to do what God planned for him to do. And then the end of this whole story is, you know, Jacob's sons became really the foundation of the nation Israel, the Hebrew people. Now for you tonight and for me tonight, I think what I want to do, I want God to help me based on what the Bible teaches to make the right choices so I can be part with God in his plan, in his purpose, in his sovereignty, in his providence, just to be a part in it, because that is where the blessing is.